0: Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason, Pastor Brett, and Pastor Adam continue their discussion on Article 14 of the Augsburg Confession. Being Lutheran is sponsored by the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary. Whatever your vocation is, start here, go anywhere grounded in God's Word.
1: Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. I am Pastor Brett Bowe, and I'm joined by Pastor Jason Goodham and Pastor Adam
2: Osier. Right? Reverends, Good to see you guys. Right Re- reverends. The right <laughs> reverends. That would, make right. A, that would make a very interesting band, uh, a band full yeah, of pastors that, like called the, the right reverends. The right reverends. Right reverends. They all wear
0: the clerical collar and Jinko yeah. Yeah. Like, hey. jeans or something. Zubas. <laughs> the Zubas.
1: Zubas, yes. Uh,
0: half of our listeners would have no clue yeah, what Jinko right. jeans are. You know, the older and the younger. It's just kind yeah. of right in that sweet well, spot. Yeah. If we really want to our go generation. pop
2: culture on jeans, you should have brought up Jabot. Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and me in the 90s growing up as a complete and utterly hopeless dork. Yeah. Well, which, what has like, changed? Well, <laughs> <laughs> growing, yeah,
0: up, growing up, he's grown up
2: Producing an adult who is a complete and utterly hopeless dork. Uh, and all my friends were talking about Jabot Jeans. And, and I would be looking, and we'd go to stores with my parents, and I'd try to tell them, and all we could find are these Gerbods. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I never owned a pair of Jabods because I didn't know what they were.
0: As you've looked at them hundreds of times. Yeah, hundreds. I, yeah. Saying, I wish these were cool. Yeah. 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 Oh, well.
2: So it was that I never owned a pair of Jabods, and I never owned a hypercolor T-shirt. That's a shame. Oh, and and yeah. I, I'm actually I went on a Twitter rant about that a few weeks ago. I'm still bitter about that. <laughs> my parents my, my parents in the nineties would never fork over forty five dollars for a hypercolor t shirt, which in the nineties that'd be like what, a hundred twenty dollar <laughs> t shirt right yeah, now. Right. Like I totally don't get why they didn't want to do that for a fourteen year old boy. But <laughs> <laughs> So uh, there's our uh, 90s pop culture okay, pain okay. of the day. We
1: got it out of our system. Yeah. Now, order in the, order in order, the court. Order in the, court, or order court, in order the, the church.
2: church. Yes, that's right. Yeah, so we got technical at the end of last week's episode, yeah. just talking about right. some, some differences uh, in understanding of this confession. And right. it's entirely appropriate. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I think. Moving from there, we were talking about this off the air. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was Adam brought up. It kind of
1: sounds like Mark Driscoll podcast. Light
2: bulb moment. The the fad du jour in the church right now is this Christianity Today podcast of the rise and fall of Mars Hills Church centered on uh, kind of celebrity pastor du jour Mark Driscoll. And and yeah. it's that whole podcast is basically an Article 14 issue.
0: It absolutely yeah. is. Yeah, it, it's interesting as I've been listening to it. it it's it's like kind of watching, um, it, not not to this near to this degree, but like the Twin Towers. You know, you watch that yeah. happen in real life. <laughs> that's and, a weird this comparison. A, well, I'll, I'll get there. But, but it is. I mean, it's, it's just absolutely tragic, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously tragic as we all watch that, and that's just very clear and obvious. Right. But as you see the abuse of souls in this podcast there's an eternal there's an eternal consequence to a lot of what is happening in, in you know in American church today in, in the celebrity pastor style church today and what 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 is wrong with it i think is that the focus is all about the individual, and it's almost that the individual is calling himself. And in the case of Driscoll, that's exactly what happened. I mean, he basically told his board, as as I understand it, he's like, hey, listen, people are coming to listen to me. I'm going to be in the pulpit. You guys figure the rest out. And then when, he, when they didn't like it, he would he would fire them, and he was bragging about throwing them under the bus and how many dead bodies were left in the wake and things like that. And it just becomes about the person, and there's no connection whatsoever to, to God's working through a congregation or through, you know, as you've mentioned— before, through a synod and uh, in, in making this happen, well, um, and what's interesting about
2: that situation, and I haven't listened to the podcast yet. Yeah, I'm, I'm right, pretty, yeah, I'm pretty filled up on my podcast bandwidth for what I listen to on a regular basis and can pay attention to. I intend to listen to it. It's like uh, true crime. Yeah, well, it's like church. a true. Yeah, yeah, it's and and part of it is uh, I don't want to listen to people analyze bad theology with different bad theology <laughs> and so that that's kind of my worry about yeah. this and and, and it, it really comes where Christianity today is like the publishing front of the generic American church and, mm. and in the generic American church the you know we'll say what you will about the young restless and reformed which was the buzz phrase surrounding the rise of Driscoll in the right. 90s and You know, Francis Chan was a part of that a little bit, and David Platt was on the the tail end of that. All these guys, right? It's fine, and and let's pause right here and acknowledge they did several good things for the church, right? They at the time, Uh, but everything that happened with Mars Hill and and in several situations across the generic American church is an absolute inversion Mm -hmm. of what Article 14 is talking Mm -hmm. about. You have an individual without any seminary training, whatever, inserting himself into the life of a congregation without a call, and then speaking whatever he thinks is necessary to increase the popularity of the church and raise its profile. Mm -hmm. And and under Augsburg 14, the entire system is that the congregation calls the pastor who then speaks the word of God and especially the gospel for the sake of feeding the sheep, not for the sake of raising his own public profile, not for the sake of becoming a celebrity with a national following. Mm -hmm. It is the most faithful pastor out there is the one who no one knows who he is, but is doing his job Mm -hmm. in his little congregation that has called him to do exactly what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's encouraging, Mm -hmm. yeah you know ecclesiology matters
1: ecclesiology it matters, matters. <laughs> the gospel matters I mean, when you, you look at the the course ecclesiology oh okay you know, yeah. snore boring but, <laughs> but it, it's so so uh, so vital. needed for us. It's vital, yeah. yeah.
2: And, and there's so many things just popping off the page when yeah. you say something like that. Right. The the reality in in the confession. One of the things we've built this podcast on is that all biblical doctrine is relevant and practical. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And and That's so right. whereas in some seminaries, again, I'll just keep beating the dead horse of the generic American church on this. In some seminaries, any concept of ecclesiology is Entirely academic exercise. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the theory of the church. Right. Well, no, the whole point of ecclesiology is that Christ has laid out for us in Scripture the structure and the purpose
0: and the mission of the church and not and not the most recent church planting. Uh, yeah, the fad. fad. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> it, it was laid out before, and and granted, some of those are valuable. Some of those things are valuable, and, and con, you know, contextualize it for us. But that's what I think they miss is that it's been laid out. Mm-hmm. It's not something new. It's not a shock.
2: It's not a shock, and it's it's not ever-changing with the culture. I mean, right. something, you know, the the mission of the church, by and large, remained unchanged for 1,800 years. in, in, in if we want to be 1,500 years until the Radical Reformation hits, you know, I, I think part of where things hit the fan with what we're talking about with Augsburg 14 is the misunderstanding in the 16th century that what Luther does, was doing was something new. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where the radical Reformation, and, and even, I don't know that this is uncharitable. I think this is where we get the Reformed wing of the church. What, what Calvin built on, and, and certainly what Zwingli built on, was the idea that Luther was breaking from the church and starting something new. Mm-hmm. And Luther never ever viewed it in that way. He viewed the Roman Catholics as the break-off of the historical church, and everything Luther taught, and everything Luther confessed, and in fact, everything he did, he considered, and at
0: least tried faithfully, to be in line with the historic church of Scripture. Well, and and the Apology talks about that in this article. You know, it talks about... The nature of how, he, how we don't we don't want to disagree with the church. I mean, we're trying to no. we're trying to keep it together. It's just well, in that particular instance, in historical culture, they're mm-hmm. killing the, yeah. the priests who yeah. are getting married. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're doing things that are wrong, obviously. But uh, it, it speaks directly to that. I don't want to change everything, and that was true of the mass. It was true of you know he he took certain things out that he saw as unbiblical, but he didn't want to change everything. And there's value there, and it's a continuation of what God started mm-hmm. in. The, in the church as the church was born.
2: Yeah and, and I think really most of the prob- problems that we see in generic American Christianity today is that by and large American Protestantism is built on the notion that the Reformation was something new. Hmm. And what we have with every movement that started in the Reformation is someone else just using another excuse to start something new. And eventually this addiction to newness, robs the church of, of the depth and the mm. applicability and the continuity of Scripture. And, and, and you get to the emergent church movement, and you get to, you know, generic American Christianity, and what we've done is we've replaced the eternal Word of God with a sales pitch— we, we've replaced hmm. the Great Commission, the call to make disciples through baptizing, through word and sacrament ministry. We've replaced that with bait and switch, hmm. you know, yep. kind of, what? what's the word I'm looking for? Bait and switch uh, gimmicks. Yeah. Uh, to get people in to the front door of the church with the hope that we hook them with emotional manipulation. Hmm.
0: Hmm. Instead and, of a great commission, a great program. Well, and, and instead of the life-giving
2: gimmick, yeah. gospel, you know, and that's yep. one of the things that's been a repeated theme, especially since we've been in the Oxford yeah. Confession. Right. The main problem in all of that right. is that the church in America to to acknowledge that well, maybe the church in America generally does evangelism well, but they only use the gospel for conversion. The hmm. gospel is never used to feed and maintain and sustain the faith of its members. Is you get the gospel and until you convert, until you make your decision for Jesus, until you pray the sinner's prayer, and respond to the altar call, and then everything after that is going to be law-based education. Mm -hmm. And and people atrophy in their faith. And and in fact, Willow Creek out of Chicago did research on this and studied it, that the average lifespan, Mm quote-unquote, of their membership was three years. Mm -hmm.
0: Come into the church, be entertained for three years, realize you're not growing mm-hmm. and leave. One of the things Brett mentioned last week was the opportunity he had to preach as a youth yeah. in his uh, in his church. And one of the things, I, I had the same experience. Uh, and Brett and I, were the same age, so it's probably the same year. And I was preaching, and I look back on the sermon I preached, it was law-based, just yeah. pure yep. law. Yep. And, and what happens there, and I look at that, and you think what you just were saying uh, Jason about the whole nature of when we don't use the gospel rightly when it's not, when it's not given to fed strengthen, and encourage believers as well and you only get law the reason that they last three years is because after three years of hearing myself I'm really good I know the law you don't really need to tell me that I don't need to or, or you don't that I shouldn't kill somebody you don't need to <laughs> tell me that I'm pretty well aware in fact I've done enough confirmation so I knew in 8th grade that I knew I, that meant that I should look out for my, my brothers and sisters welfare physically and look out and pro- to protect them and to help mm-hmm. them right i knew that i don't need to hear that all the time but what i what i was missing mm-hmm. in my own heart and this isn't due to a fault of my pastor but in my own mind i think just my own resistance to it i needed the gospel to help me do it yep the gospel is is needed to be there and that's what is so vital about rightly training pastors yeah. rightly you know rightly training them to know the law and the gospel and to to emphasize the gospel in everything that they do well and when i nearly walked away from the faith mm-hmm. in my mid 20s yep.
2: it was because i was only retaining the law and and i knew uh as a sinner who was trying to repent with all my heart that i wasn't a good christian now the difference for me, in praise the Lord, it happened, again, out of the large catechism. It was not that I realized that I was a better Christian than I thought I was, which sometimes is the target in those situations. I realized that the gospel still applied to me, yeah. and and I needed to be listening to those things. But what, what had happened, and I'm actually only starting to clarify this in my head because I look back just like you, none of this was my pastor's fault. And in yeah. fact, during This crisis of faith. My own father-in-law was my pastor, and he's he's a good pastor. And I've actually purposely I'm careful about how I talk to it, talk about that time period because it's like I don't want to throw him under the bus. He was doing a good job, but I had been trained at certain points specifically that the gospel was for conversion. Mm -hmm. I knew I had already converted, Mm -hmm. and so I was only listening to the law. And it's the way, like you said, Adam, it's the way we present the gospel so that it it's known that it's available and that it applies to Christian ears. And I think what we're, we've silently been doing in America is teaching the people in the
0: pews, quote, unquote, mm-hmm. to turn their ears off when they hear the gospel. Mm-hmm. And, and that'll end up being the tragedy. Well, the pin the tail, you know, yeah. or pin the gospel on the end of the sermon kind of mentality. And do all this, died do this. Yes, and, and, and remember, it's, it's a Joel Osteen thing, right? Oh. He gets that big smile. And just remember, all you need to know <laughs> yeah. is that Jesus died for your sins. You believe it. You receive it. Was that good oh, enough? Okay. That yeah, fair? that's do a great what? impersonation. Yeah, we are two
2: hundred and eighteen <laughs> episodes into this podcast, and never once up until this point did I think video was necessary. But <laughs> well, now I do.
1: Until now, <laughs> right? Right, uh. that moment was the first time. That was beautiful. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. But you know, and we've we've been uh, laughing about how you know short this article is and how quote unquote boring it is, but. You know, what we've been talking about here, the, the importance of the gospel, both for conversion and for all of Christian life, is, is that this good, sound, healthy theology is, comes through in this
2: article for the benefit of the congregation. And, and God has baked it into the structure yeah. of the church that's where the intersection with with reality and practicality is all about we can talk all we want to and it's a valuable conversation about the benefits of this polity or that polity we can talk all we want to about the benefits of church government and structure in the congregation we can talk all we want to about the life of the congregation but the purpose we have in that conversation is it all comes down to the distribution and application of the gospel right. yep yeah and so if that is true
1: you know we we got to train People well, we have to see to it that that men are prepared for ministry, that uh, that people are equipped, uh, men and women are equipped to serve in the congregation, but especially men here too.
2: Um, yeah, we got we got two big issues yeah. left that are kind of hanging on the last two coat hooks that we got to pull off and look at. Uh, one is that the role of the pastor. In our understanding of Scripture, we believe the accurate biblical understanding. The role of the pastor is reserved for men. This is by decree and declaration of God in Scripture. That's so. When we talk about young men, that's why we're talking about to talk about preparing for the the pastorate. Right. The second thing that we have to cover is kind of the flip side of that coin, is that we are not to neglect women in the church. We're not to shun them. We're not to devalue them. Uh, we're, we're not to keep them barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen <laughs> kind of a thing, right? Uh, women might not have access to the office of the ministry, to the role of pastors, but there is room in the church for women theologians. There is a room in the church for women disciple-makers, especially yeah. among other women. Uh w- the, the conservative church in America ought to do a lot of soul-searching on how we handle this topic, but, because the primary educators of our young people in the church are all women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what would you think, a completely uneducated guess, across <laughs> denomination, what percentage of children's Sunday school teachers are women? 95%, right. yeah. 98%. Yeah. Right. yeah, a lot. I yeah. mean, I have a fair number of men. Uh, in fact, in my congregation, what we end up doing is we generally have couples co-teach a class. Sure. I mean, I think it's a healthy mm-hmm. thing. And, and, and sometimes that doesn't mean they're both in the class at the same time. They alternate husband and wife because okay. they want to come to adult Sunday school or have a break or whatever. But it's kind of how it works out. But, you know, w- when we say that the office of pastor is off limits for a woman, it's not to say that service in the church is off limits to a woman. And and I think there's been a lot of poor conversations on that topic. Yep. Yeah. It's a hard
1: one in our day. Uh, Even people in the church that have been influenced by the
2: culture around around us on this regard. Well, you've got all of the complications of feminism uh, and, and now we've got for the last two, three, four years in the church, the influence of woke ideology mm. to, to give it a terrible label. Yeah. Uh, here's going to be my suggestion. we got about five minutes left in the episode. <laughs> uh, next week, we're going to be studying the call of Jeremiah. And mm. I think that's the place where we can talk about training young men for the ministry. Sure. It's just a natural thing. And Adam, that's where we're going to get your expertise as an administrator <laughs> yeah. of a college that that is kind of laying the groundwork that, you know, many of our pastors in the AFLC start at the Bible College. Right. So we'll go there. Let's talk about women in ministry for the last five okay. minutes, and 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 uh, be especially gracious and thankful for our sisters in Christ yeah. who who walk alongside right. us to to
0: build up the body of Christ. Yeah. Can Can I jump in on that? I mean, you we talk about training young men and the the ministry, of the college, the seminary that we have here. Uh, that is absolutely you know a focus and a and a concern of ours. Uh, and I'll talk more about the men in the next episode, but. Our our college is men and women, yep. and our mission is to train them in the eternal and inerrant Word of God for a life of faith and service in His Kingdom, which we believe to be the congregation. Right. So as we, as we are are serving in that capacity, we are training these young ladies in in a variety of different ways. Uh, I think of the different opportunities they have in in terms of of worship, singing, uh, in terms of. Um, the the variety of teaching them the the biblical classes that we have so as to go out and to be a good gospel centric Sunday school teachers to equip them to to come alongside and to serve in a variety of capacities uh, within the congregation and to. Uh, and, and, and that's our heart. That's our goal. That's what mm-hmm. we'd like to see.
2: Well, I'll, I'll, we don't typically do shout-outs on this <laughs> podcast, but I'll give a I'll give a shout-out to Liz McCarlson, who is our Director of Christian Education. I had a hunch you were going to say, Liz. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the most valuable members of my congregation that yeah. I have. Liz is our Director yeah. of Christian Education, which means she serves not only as our Sunday School Superintendent, mm-hmm. she's also our volunteer youth leader. Uh and this year, in a completely unique circumstance, our incoming confirmation class is entirely female. You know, we have three students, including my daughter and my niece, and then one other. Uh, and and I thought, well, how better to have someone who is theologically reliable and, and well-trained like Liz is, she's going to be teaching confirmation uh, and having a way to relate to these young women in ways that... I wouldn't be able to relate to them, and and one of our seminary students wouldn't be able to relate to them. And and I'm going into this thinking, what a gift it is that these young ladies get to learn uh, theology and the the basic foundations of our catechism from someone who is already speaking their own language. And and I'm just grateful for that, and, and I'm thrilled. And uh, you know, I, so I've been involved in some way, shape, or form of youth ministry since I was 18 years old. So that's now 33 straight years of youth ministry in mm. some way, shape, or form of my life, which, wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and the most valuable people on the teams that I have worked in, As a youth worker or as a supervisor or a member of a congregation council or anything like that, now as a pastor for 10 years, the most valuable people involved in that have been the female volunteers as as youth workers, because as a pastor, when you run into a crisis situation with a, a female teenager... Having someone who, who can enter into that situation as, as a female, again, incredibly valuable. And, and then to do that as an Orthodox Lutheran uh, who who knows the confessions, who knows Scripture, just entirely reliable and trustworthy. It's just a huge load off your shoulders when you experience mm-hmm.
1: that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I'm glad that uh, you can give that shout out today yeah. and can praise the Lord for that individual. Um I almost hate to bring this up but you know as long around this topic um in the last year I've had really hard conversations about this issue of women in the church and the one the one issue that a couple of people brought my way was and this is and I had to direct them you know this is they're taking this up against the the word of the lord you yep. know is for them to say they don't have access to the pulpit was uh was an affront to them. Yep. And it's even in the midst of all the, the
2: scriptural passages. Um, it's it's a hard thing for someone to hear because by and large, culture has dominated this conversation in the church, right? right. Mm-hmm. That's, that's like I said, this is where we see like the the impact of feminist philosophy on what's going on in the church. The, the overreaction in the conservative wing of the church is then to communicate somehow that women have less value in the church, and that's right. not what we want right. to do. Uh, we need to be able to talk about roles, yeah. but but I think by and large, this is my opinion on the issue, that where we have failed to help the, the understanding of this issue is that we've punted on vocation. Mm-hmm. We've punted on the value of service where God has placed you among the neighbors that God has given you, mm-hmm. and, and and we've 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 made it the the pastoral role and the title and the office uh, something to be pursued as a matter of power and authority and ability. Rather than something God calls to, mm-hmm. just like He calls people to motherhood and right. fatherhood, yep. and yep. calls people to be CPAs and calls them to be ushers in their congregation, when the church loses vocation,
0: mm-hmm. we're going to lose ground on talking about biblical roles for men and women. Mm. When you go back to the fall, I know we got to wrap up here, but when we go back to the fall in the garden, and you know, one of the promises, one of the curses, that came from that was the, the distinction of gender roles was going to be blurred. And there was going to be fighting amongst that. And we see that as you go into, like, the book of Corinthians, right, or the, the letters to the Corinthians. Um, you, you see that fighting, like, well, he gets to do this, and I don't get to do that. And th- there's that mentality, that invocation Uh, if we think of it in terms of vocation that God has called me to this in a positive sense, whatever that is, whether it be pastoral ministry, motherhood, whatever the case is in each individual person, uh, when we focus on what we can't have, it's a perversion. It's a bro- yeah. it's part of the brokenness of the fall. And we're dealing with that, and we see that over and over again. We focus on what we aren't called to versus to what we are. I would I wish God would have called me to have a big, a very public platform in the NBA. I would have loved <laughs> to play there, but God didn't call me there. Personally,
2: and- I wish He would have called me to be a twelfth man in the NBA, <laughs> so I wouldn't have to work as hard but still get paid well. <laughs> uh- That's right. But yeah, it's. It's um, again. It becomes a matter of personal prestige and power, yeah. rather than of sacrificial service, service. to a neighbor. Right. And, and, and really, there's a whole lot of ground that needs to be recovered just with the doctrine of vocation, right. even before having these conversations about right. ministry roles in the because office. People are, are missing out on those opportunities yep. to serve in vocation
1: because they're, you know, power grabbing yep. uh, in essence. Yeah. Well, we need a better way to end this episode here well, it's, than any, well, <laughs> any, it's, any other closing... Uh, yeah.
2: I, I think I want to build off what you said. When we say a power grab, I also yeah. don't want to communicate it's just women grabbing for the office of the ministry. Right. The whole picture has been perpetuated like men. Men can do that too. Yeah. You know, men like Mark Driscoll, mm-hmm. who the office of the ministry was a power grab for him. Yep. And, and, and celebrity pastor is a power grab. Where the gospel in all of this is for vocation... Mm-hmm is that the way God provides for His church in each circumstance is specific to what He has laid out for us in His Word. And and every part of that is an answer to a promise He has made Mm -hmm. and even an answer to our daily bread. When we pray for our daily bread, God is answering that by giving you your pastor and by giving you your Sunday school teacher as you're growing up. And, And where that has broken down God stands in that place reminding you that He is a faithful Father, and He is a faithful deliverer of His Word. And where that has worked out faithfully among God's people, then we praise God for His provision. Mm -hmm. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also, invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. For the latest from the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota, visit flbc.edu. God bless you, and have a great week.